the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Ouch. He's basically saying, okay, because you're going about this this way, you're not going to get the glory for it. So her response seems to indicate that he's very timid here and doesn't want to do this. And therefore, she says to him in kind of a mild rebuke, okay, I'll go with you if that's the way it needs to be. But you're not going to get the credit for this. The credit is going to go to a woman. Now, she's not speaking of herself. There's another woman in this story. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. Do you ever feel like you're not qualified to do mighty things for God? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom with limited sphere of influence. Or maybe you think you're too young or too old. Well, the Bible is full of diverse people that God used in unique and miraculous ways. God even used women to lead and conquer, as we'll hear in Pastor Gary's teaching today. The only thing that can disqualify you is a lack of faith, leading to a lack of obedience. But if you follow God, despite your fears, you'll see great victories in life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Killing Sisera. Turn there with me to the book of Judges, if you would. We're going to be in chapter 4. All right, so let's just quick review. You'll be seeing this circle in your dreams at night, but as we make our way through the book of Judges, this is what defines the whole spiritual climate and condition of the nation of Israel for a period of about 400 years. That's what the book of Judges covers, nearly 400 years. And so the cycle is this. Again, the Israelites are serving the Lord. They're doing well, but then they slip into sin and idolatry. And as a result, they get oppressed by their enemies because God will use a foreign enemy as the rod of his discipline to get the attention of his people again so that they might return to the Lord. And that's what happens then. They cry out to God under their oppression. God hears them. He raises up a judge and Israel is delivered and then they serve the Lord again. And this is the cycle throughout the book of Judges. Again, we made mention at the beginning of our study in Judges that when we talk about a judge, we're not talking about a black-robed official with a gavel. The book of Judges is called in Hebrew, Shoftim. Shoftim can be translated governors. So you need to see them as governors. These are military heroes or deliverers that God raises up 
for a time to serve the people and to lead them. And there were 12 judges in all through the book of Judges, six major judges and six minor judges. We've looked at two of the major judges so far in that order. The first judge of Israel was Othniel. His name means force or strength of God. And then he was followed by Ehud, who was a judge whose name means union or united. And then the third judge of Israel is a what's considered a minor judge. He only gets one verse, although it's a pretty amazing verse, because at the end of chapter 3, it says this, verse 31. It says, After Ehud came Shamgar, whose name means sword, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. That's all that's mentioned about him. But what is mentioned? He's a he-man, this guy here. I mean, he single-handedly kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad. What's an ox goad? An ox goad was a long staff or stick that had a very sharp pointed end. And if you were plowing a field and you were driving an ox because the ox would be pulling the plow blade, if the ox didn't move as fast as you wanted, you'd take an ox goad, a long staff with a very sharp pointed end, and you'd poke the ox in the rear end to get him to go. And that's the tool that Shamgar used, just like a piece of farm equipment. And he used this to slay 600 Philistines. But that's all that's said about him. And then God raises up another judge into chapter 4. And this judge is very unique. Because this judge is the only woman in all of Israel's history as a judge. And her name was Deborah. Now in the Hebrew, there's not a B in her name. It's a V. So it's Deborah. And her name translates literally B. As in bumble. (laughs) Honey. Got stung by. That kind. All right. That's what her name means. This is a marvelous story. We'll read the first few verses of chapter 4, then we'll study the rest of it. So here we go, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After Ehud died, which is kind of sad, Shamgar doesn't even get the mention of his death. So we skip Shamgar. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Here's that cycle again. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoim, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So you see this cycle. They sin, they get oppressed. This time it's by the Canaanites. They cry to the Lord for help. Verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. The word leading is the same word in the Hebrew for judging, judging or leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. Well, again, because of the cycle of sin that the Israelites are in here, uh, God will then allow them to be oppressed by their enemies in order to get their attention, to wake them up spiritually, that they might cry out again for the Lord. And this time, the Lord is going to allow the Canaanites to be the people as the rod of his discipline who will come and oppress the Israelites. These are the very people that the Israelites should have driven out, but the Canaanites will now serve to be the oppressors. And the Bible tells us here in verse 2 that the king of the Canaanites is a guy by the name of Jabin, And that his military commander, the general over the army of the Canaanites, was a guy mentioned in verse 2 also by the name of Sisera. 
Now, circle his name because he's a very prominent person in the rest of this story. We'll come back to him at the conclusion of chapter 4. But Sisera, the general of the army of the Canaanites, very important person in the story. Verse 3 tells us, we read it a moment ago, that the Canaanites had the latest and greatest of military advancement and technology of the day that they had 900 iron chariots, and they would use these iron chariots in military warfare. And it tells us in verse 3 that they, the Canaanites, cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So over the course of 20 years, the Israelites are oppressed, they cry out to God, and once again, God raises up a deliverer, another judge by the name of Deborah. She is one of the most prominent and influential women in all of the Bible. And we learn five things about her in this text. So we're going to take a look a little bit at her life because, you know, let's be real. Most of the Bible talks about male heroes, but now we come upon a heroine of the Bible, a female heroine of the Bible. And since most of the time we're devoted to looking at the heroes, the male heroes of the Bible, it's good for us to just stop and take a look here at this female heroine of the Bible. And all the sisters said? Amen. Amen. All right, let's take a look here. Chapter (laughs) 4. One of the things that we learn about her, obviously, is that she is a judge. Again, in verse 4, she's a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, and she was leading Israel. That's the same word, leading, in the Hebrew for judging. And she has the distinct honor of being the only female judge in the history of Israel. In fact, though a lot of women have various amounts of influence throughout the Bible, Deborah has the distinct honor of being really the only female leader of Israel until Golda Meir was elected prime minister in 1969. So think about it, very, very important class of people of a few Very rare here, she's serving as this leader of Israel at this time. God raises her up to be a judge in Israel. Now, I will tell you, just in all openness, that when you study commentaries and you read about the life of Deborah, most of the commentaries will suggest to you, and this might be because most of the commentaries are written by men, they will suggest to you that God's choosing of Deborah is less about her and more about the apparent lack of male spiritual leadership in Israel at the time. That's what some of the commentaries will say. And honestly, I don't agree with it. And here's why I don't agree. Because then that's suggesting that she was God's default plan. All right? As if God surveys the land of Israel. Oh, there's not enough men here. There aren't any good men. So, okay, I'll just pick little Debbie here. You know? Little Debbie will do. She'll make a great hostess for for the nation of Israel. And that's really an insult to God, because that's just saying, you know, God couldn't find, so he'll just, okay, we'll just pick her. No, 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 I don't think that she's his default plan. I was at an event, and, uh, and at dinner time, we were having dinner at our table, and Stefan's there, and Stefan is the grandson of Billy Graham, and uh, he's my age, and you think about Billy Graham's grandson, but Billy Graham's in his upper 90s, so anyway, Stefan and I have become friends over the years, and I asked him, I said, hey, i got to get you back up here to Cornerstone. You need to come and speak and take the pulpit for me sometime this summer. And he said to me, well, am I your first choice or the default? <laughs> and I said, why would you ask that kind of a thing? And, he, and we're laughing. And he says, because a friend of mine asked me to come speak at his church. And he said when he emailed me, he accidentally had attached the trail of emails with his admin. <laughs> and in the whole trail, he said that I was number five on the list. Li- that four other guys had said no, they couldn't do it. 
And I was number five. And so I said, well, how did you handle that? He said, well, we're good buds. I got up in the pulpit when I got there. And I said, well, listen, I happen to be number five on the list, but I'm delighted to be here. Nevertheless, (laughs) I don't think that Deborah was, you know, way down in the list, just God's default plan here. I think that she was God's unique choice for a unique time. She was a judge over Israel. Second thing we learn about her is that she was a wife. Verse 4 says, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. Now, I will tell you that in all of the English translations, you will read that phrase, she's the wife of Lapidoth. But in a Hebrew Bible, if you ask a Jew to read the Hebrew from Judges chapter 4, it doesn't say that she's the wife of Lapidoth. It doesn't say she was married. The Hebrew is Eshet Lapidot. And Lapid in Hebrew means fire. So in the Hebrew Bible, Eshet Lapidot translates literally a fiery woman. So in the Hebrew Bible, it reads Deborah the prophetess, a fiery woman. It doesn't actually say she's the wife of Lapidot. It's translated as an adjective in the Hebrew Bible. But in all English translations, it is listed as the wife of Lapidot. That Lapid is actually a reference, a root word for the name of her husband. So we're going to leave it that way for the purpose of our English studies. But if you ask a Jew, it doesn't say wife of Lapidoth. It says Eshet Lapidoth, that she is a fiery woman. So perhaps she was that too. We don't know. Maybe that's part of her personality. Number three, it tells us in the text that she was a prophetess, that she was enabled by the Holy Spirit to discern and to declare the will and the wisdom and the ways of God to other people. And it tells us in verse 5 that she held court under the palm of Deborah. Now, again, when you hear the word court and you hear the word judges, you think of black-robed officials with gavels, but that's not the case here. The word court is an indication that she had a designated place and that she had regular office hours and that people could come and they could hear from the Lord through her that she would prophesy to them about the will and the way and the wisdom of God and that the name of the place where she would meet them was under a palm tree called the Palm of Deborah. Now, how'd you like to have a palm with your name on it? Doesn't that sound lovely? Just how picturesque is that? This is biblical, folks. So I think I'm going to move my office to St. Thomas, and you can come visit me under the palm of Gary, because that's right here in the Bible. (laughs) Just drinking out of a coconut with a little umbrella in it. Non-alcoholic, but I'm just saying, isn't that a very wonderful, picturesque scene here? Now, actually, this is not something arrogant that she's like, I'm meeting under my palm tree. It actually is probably the Deborah, not her, but the Deborah of Genesis chapter 35, who was the nurse for Rebecca. Rebecca's nurse was named Deborah, and the Bible says in Genesis 35, 8, that Deborah died and was buried under a tree near Bethel. Well, it tells us in the text that this Deborah was leading the people of Israel near Bethel, and this tree is probably named after the Deborah of Genesis 35. But that would make for easy association, though, because if you're named Deborah, uh, you want people to know where they can find you, you'll meet under the palm of Deborah, but probably a reference to the Deborah of Genesis chapter 35. It also tells us in this story that she was a songwriter. All of chapter 5 is a song. It begins in verse 1. It says, On that day Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. And we know that she was really the writer because... It is written in the first person, and she talks about herself, Deborah, being the mother of Israel, 
and so she's a songwriter. This all of chapter 5 is a song that details the victory that the Israelites ended up having over the Canaanites, and their victory is preserved in this song. Last but not least, the text tells us that she was a warrior. It tells us that she accompanied the army of Israel into war against the Canaanites. Now, we're not sure that she engaged in hand-to-hand combat personally, but at the very least, it says she went with the army of Israel, and her very presence was of particular help to the people as they fought this battle against the Canaanites. Now, she herself was not the leader of the army of Israel, but she appoints a leader. And this is where the story picks up where we left off. So let's keep reading here now where we left off in chapter 4, verse 6. She's going to choose here her military commander. Verse 6, she sent for Barak, son of Obama, from... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that, that's another Barak, sorry about that. This is son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you... Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, let me be clear. I'm just telling you what verse 8 says. And he said, I will go with you if you go with me. But if you don't go. I won't go. That's the best I have. I'm sorry. That's the best. That's the best. Oh, that's sympathy. I didn't. That's sympathy. That's sympathy applause right there. That's not that good. Anyhow, he says this to her. He says, I will go with you if you go with me. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, it's at this point, this is a little tricky to understand this. Because you can interpret this in one of two ways. Either Barak here sees her as this leader of Israel and God's hand is on your life. And so, Deborah, I'm not going to go unless you go because God is with you and we need God. And so we need you. Or he's a wimp. There's no way to really tell here whether he is highly respecting her. Like, I'm not going to go into war unless you go because God's hand is on your life and we need you. Or if he's just saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. And, you know, I'm kind of a wimp. We don't know. Now, Her response to him seems to indicate the latter. Her response seems to indicate that he's rather wimpish here. But before I read her response, I don't want to throw him entirely under the bus because I do want you to note that Hebrews chapter 11 mentions him by name as a person of faith in that great list of the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He does get mentioned by name. So whether he went into war feeling the confidence of her because God's hand was upon her, or whether he went reluctantly because he didn't really want to go because he was scared maybe. Either way, he went. He leads the people of Israel into victory with God's help, and he gets mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. But her response seems to indicate that he's a little wimpish about this because look at what she says in verse 9. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Ouch. He's basically saying, okay, because you're going about this this way, you're not going to get the glory for it. So her response seems to indicate that he's very timid here and doesn't want to do this. And therefore, she says to him in kind of a mild rebuke, okay, I'll go with you if that's the way it needs to be. But you're not going to get the credit for this. The credit is going to go to a woman. Now, she's not speaking of herself. There's another woman in this story. 
Read on with me. So the rest of verse 9. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera, this is the general of the army of the Canaanites, when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harasheth Agoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Okay, so this is a great victory. God gives the Israelites the victory here, and the Canaanites are routed, and they are all defeated. It says that there wasn't a single survivor of the Canaanite army except the general himself, Sisera. He abandons his chariot, and he flees on foot. Verse 17. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of, here she is, Jael. Circle her name. Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. You know, he's tired. He's been running here. He's been engaged in battle, and he fled to her tent. So he's tired. In verse 19, I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. By the way, why'd she give him milk instead of water? All he wanted was water. Because warm milk makes us feel sleepy. She wants to put this guy to sleep. Notice here, verse 20. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say, no. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. That's going to leave a mark. <laughs> Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. All right, your attention. We're introduced to this woman. Here's the other woman in the story who's going to get the credit for the real victory of this battle. Her name is Jael. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. Her name is spelled and pronounced with a Y, Yael. And her name literally translates in Hebrew, you ready for this? Wild mountain goat. And she's living up to her name, isn't she? This is gruesome. This is bizarre. Jael, man, acting like a wild mountain goat. Go, girl. You know what I'm saying? Now, this is not the kind of girl you want to bring home to mom and dad. This is not the girl you want to date. Bring her home to your house and mom and dad meeting her. And mom says, well, Jael, what a pretty name. What does that mean? Mountain goat. Bah! You know, and, well, what do you do, sweetheart? Well, I'm pretty good with a hammer, you know. 
cruel. This girl is cruel. And can you imagine her husband? Because the Bible says she's married. His name is Haber. Can you imagine after this incident? He's never going to take a nap again in his life. So this is that girl. Now, Deborah, the judge of Israel, hails her as a heroine in the song in chapter 5. Throughout the book of Judges, God was with the nation of Israel. When they were following him, God's blessing flowed and filled their land. When they turned away from him, he didn't abandon them, but instead brought forth judges to help them see the error of their ways and how life with him was so much better. This cycle of living that the Israelites fell into is what we've been studying with Pastor Gary Hamrick. And we're so glad you joined us again today. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we love being able to share God's Word with you and learning with you what God has to teach us. If you'd like to hear more from the book of Judges or the number of other Bible books Pastor Gary has taught through, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have companion resources that offer an even deeper look into these studies, which you can use to enhance your own time with God in His Word. Cornerstone Connection comes to you as a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, and we'd love to meet you in person. Come see us Sundays at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our time of worship and Bible study. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today, but join us again for another step into the lives of the Israelites right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.